Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You can be seated. And uh, today we have Travis with us again, and he's going to be preaching from Revelation chapter 5. Good morning. How many of you were here the last time I preached in Revelation 4? Oh, great, great. In that passage, we see the majestic glory of God, the Father, and a great picture of His majesty being worshipped by those beings who are around Him. And uh, what a joy that was to dig into that. Well... The next chapter is, it's hard to imagine, kind of the crescendo of where that text took us. And I have titled this, The Immeasurable Worth of the Crucified, Resurrected, Living Christ. The Immeasurable Worth. Of the crucified, resurrected, living Christ. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, the scene is described of John being invited by Christ up into heaven, and the Spirit of God conveyed to him God the Father seated. On his throne. And Christ intended to show John, we saw in verse 1, the things that must take place after this. And can you imagine the anticipation that John felt as he waited the prophetic vision unfolding the remaining events of human history? The scene of God the Father on the throne was so 
majestic that it took an entire chapter to describe it. And chapter 5 picks up the promise from Christ back in chapter 4, verse 1. The things which must take place after this are all wrapped up in one word. A scroll. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 5, verse 1. And there's a large consensus that the contents of this scroll are the divine decrees describing the destiny of the world. Now, we don't know exactly what it says, but given chapter 4, verse 1, and given, given the, what follows, that seems to be the case, but it is thoroughly written inside and out. That is, it is exhaustive, it's detailed, but its contents are bound shut. They've been sealed with seven seals, perfectly and completely sealed. So the contents of this scroll are closed to all of humanity, to all beings, until opened by someone. And the language indicates that they've been sealed for a long time. Isaiah 29, 11, in referring to God blinding the prophets and the seers of Judah from understanding prophetic vision, we read this. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this. He says, I cannot, for it's sealed. And that's the scene here. So here's the book or the scroll that the decrees of human history, which can neither be looked upon, that is, they can't be understood, nor can they be enacted until someone breaks the seals around it. That's the context. And as John looks on this scene... And remember, he's caught up from the island of Patmos where he's been exiled for the word of Christ and the testimony. And he's caught up into this heavenly vision and he's watching all this take place. And here he is, he's been told by Christ, I'm going to show you the things that must soon take place. The vision of the Father. And here's the Okay, it's coming. But there's a mighty angel, perhaps Gabriel. It's because he's a strong angel. He's before the throne. But he proclaims with a great voice to pose the question that becomes the centerpiece of the entire chapter. Who is worthy? In chapter 10, verse 3, an angel speaks with a loud voice and his speaking is compared to a lion roaring. Anybody here ever been close to the lion that roars at San Francisco Zoo? Oh my goodness. I mean, I remember being in there when they, you know, when they come out to feed and they, everybody's all piled in there. And here's this stately, I can't go there yet. But anyway, there's this stately cat. And I'm looking up at this thing going, man, you are not scared by this throng of people here. It's amazing. But he, when he roars, it's deafening. So it's the question of all ages, and it rings throughout heaven. Who is worthy? Who is worthy to step forward and take this scroll to break its seals? But the suspense of the situation is heightened and lengthened by the fact that there is no one worthy on the horizon of the heavenly scene. So the question has to arise, who will rescue human history? Because that's what's at stake here. And John is looking on. And isn't that the same question that must be asked by everyone? Who will rescue human history? 
And do you know that at this time period, there will arise someone that in the minds of much of the world, in their minds, he will be the answer to this question. But it's no different for us. We've all asked this question. Maybe not with these words, but who will rescue me? And we weep with John saying, who can? So my first point in verses 5 through 6, Christ is worthy because he has conquered. Christ is worthy because he has conquered. The weeping stops when the crucified, resurrected, living Christ becomes the centerpiece of our vision. Really. The weeping of our souls stops when Christ becomes the centerpiece of our vision. Is He? So weep no more because there is one who has conquered so that He has rescued the human race. In Luke 11, don't turn there, Verses 19 through 22, the same word is used when Jesus describes when he's accused of conquering the realm of Satan, the demons, by the ruler of Satan. And he says, no, he must first come in and conquer the strong man. Christ has conquered. Or, in John 16, 33, be at peace. You got peace? Be at peace. In this world, you're going to be filled with trouble. But I have conquered. Christ is worthy because He has conquered. Is He your conqueror? Not since you're very familiar with Christianity, you probably know this intellectually, is He your conqueror? But who is this one who has conquered? The text tells us He is the Lion of the tribes of Judah. A lion is the symbol of a powerful conqueror in the animal world. I just told you that scene. I just got the feeling when I'm looking on this lion, man, he could crush me. His head's like this. I mean, my whole head would fit in his mouth. Uh, he is the king who is descended from the Messianic line through the tribe of Judah. But he's more than that. He is called the root of David. He is the shoot and the root. In Isaiah 11, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, the Messiah is described as a shoot, a sucker growth that sprouts out of a stump. A branch is going to come forth, the shoot of Jesse. But in verse, what is it? Verse 10, he is called the root of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. David is the king through the line of Judah that the Messiah must come. So he's got the credentials. He's the king. He's the Messiah. But notice what it says. He's not just the one who came through the line. He's the root. How can you be the root and the shoot? Or in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, he says this, to finish it all, I myself am the root and the offspring of David. Or the question that he posed, do you remember this, the Pharisees? 
He posed the question to them in Matthew 22, verses 41 through 46. He says, I got a question for you. When the Messiah comes, whose son will he be? And they said, he'll be David's son. Well, then how does David say, and he quotes Psalm 110, in the spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your seed. If he called him Lord, how then is he his son? And that is the question to which they had no answer. He is the root and the shoot of David. He cannot be that unless he is the eternal great I am. Of Abraham, he said, before he was, I am. And the same phrase Jesus says in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, 16, I myself am. <laughs> I just am. And I became the shoot. So, he is both the great I am, and he became, through the messianic line, the proper descendant of David. Weep no more. Weep no more. The angel says, not the angel. One of the elders said, Weep no more. Behold the lion. Look at the lion. Weep no more, troubled soul, sinner, weighed down with fears and doubts. Weep no more. Look at the lion. There's one here, John, he's here, and he is a lion. He is the fiercest among the beasts, and he has conquered. So he can open the scroll, which implies he is worthy. But the question is, how has he conquered? How has the lion conquered? In the animal world, how does the lion conquer? He slaughters. Right? If he wants to prove his dominance, he must show his stuff and beat them all off by physical force or intimidation. But how has the lion Conquered. And this is the beauty of the lion. How has he conquered? And the answer is found in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. The elders said, Behold, the lion! But when he looked, he saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He saw the fierce lion who had presented himself humbly silently, without resistance, as a sacrifice like a lamb. And he saw a brutally murdered, slaughtered lamb. But he saw him standing. He saw him resurrected. That's the point of the wording here. Notice further, 
This lamb is not lacking in power. He has seven horns. He has infinite power. A horn is the symbol of power. And he has the perfected number of horns. He has infinite power. And also he has infinite understanding in his vision. This is the lamb. He has the power. But notice how he conquered. It's through becoming a lamb. The power of God is seen in his cross. First Corinthians one. The power of God, the wisdom of God is displayed in what is foolishness to man. This is it. This is the undoing of Satan and the cursed. See the power of God. Behold the lamb. The lamb is the lion. The lion is the lamb. So he conquered so as to rescue the human race and earn the right to be considered worthy to open the scroll by going to the cross. You see that? This is how he is worthy. He's already intrinsically worthy. He's the son of God. John chapter 1 says that, you all know it because Rod's preached through this, but he says he's intrinsically God holding, as Hebrews says, all things together by the word of his power, but he created everything. But that's not what he appeals to here. His value and worth is because he became a lamb. What power does a lamb display? If you put a lamb next to a lion, which does happen, the lion eats the lamb. There's no power in a lamb. But not this lamb. Look at verse 7. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Christ is worthy because he has conquered Christ is worthy because he is worshipped. The scene in chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, of the four living creatures and the 24 elders in the presence of the infinite majesty of the Father is unfolding before our eyes in the presence of Christ. When Christ takes the scroll to which he is entitled, and worthy to do alone. Remember, John was weeping at the thought of no one worthy. But when he does this, they fall before the Lamb. The highest creatures in God's heaven give the same worship to Christ as the Father. John 5, 23, it is the Father's design and desire that all, all honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And here we see that. But notice what for. In verses 9 through 10. Notice 
What for? And this is the third point. Christ is worthy because the inhabitants of heaven sing to him. And there's a reason. When these beings fall down before him to worship, they are singing a brand new song to him. Do you have a brand new song on your heart to him? Has he put a new song in your heart? Has he? Man, I remember when there was no new song in my heart to him. And I knew all about him in my head. But the rest of this passage just didn't fit for me. I didn't see it as glorious. But a sinner... If they can see it, they don't even have sin. But if they can see it, how much more should a sinner, and he does, when he's found there, see him? And how much more should a new song be on our hearts to him? They are singing a brand new song to him. Why? Because there is no one in all existence like Him. There's no one like Christ. In verse 2 and verse 4 of this chapter, the pronoun came first. Who is worthy? The angel cried. John is weeping. No one worthy is to be found. Here, the attribute explodes from their voices. Worthy are you! Worthy! Worthy! Why? Well, they tell us. For you were slain. You were slaughtered. Why is Christ so worthy? Because you were slaughtered. Is that graphic enough? That's literally what the verb says. You were slaughtered. It's as clear as a bell. You were that weak, innocent, Passover lamb slaughtered and bled out empty as a sacrifice. What is the lion, the eternal son of God, doing being slaughtered unless he has willingly Laid himself out. And typical of the lamb was let them bend his head up. So that when they slit his throat, all the blood emptied out. Unless he willingly did this, no one could possibly take his life from him. Did he not say that in John my life I give up for the life of the world. No one takes it from me. I lay it down. I have the power, he said. I have the power to lay it down. And I have the power to take it up again. And I'm going to lay it down. And what kind of death did he succumb to? Some disease? No. In 1 John 3.12, the verb was used of Cain violently murdering Abel. So, too, Christ was violently murdered in his sacrifice. You are worthy because you became the substitute in a violent death 
for countless sinners. That's why you're worthy. But also, you paid an infinite price. By your blood, you ransomed people for God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 You were bought with a price. It's the same verb. You were bought with a price so that you might glorify God because you cannot. You were created to glorify God. You were lost. Nobody glorifies God. All have sinned and fallen short of that glory. But Christ paid an infinite price so that you and I could be given the right, the privilege to do what we were created for, to glorify God. He paid an infinite price. So here we have the full identification. The slaughtering led to redemption for God, a people formed from all peoples. In Revelation 14.3, it calls the 144,000 those who had been redeemed from the earth. Same word, bought. Verse 4 in that chapter states that they were redeemed for God and for the Lamb. This is His bride. Jesus purchased purchased her for himself by his own blood. Essentially, he said this. Listen to this. I am going to go out and get a wife for myself. She already belongs to a cruel, marring slave owner. I will be ruthlessly, violently murdered under the hand of of men and under the wrath of the Father to purchase her for myself, my wife. She will be freed, and then I will present her spotless to my Father, and He will give her to me. She will receive the love that the Father has for John 17, 23. The love the Father has for the Son, she will receive that love. To that great extent, my death will pay the price for her. It will infinitely absorb her debt. I will buy me a wife with my own blood. Folks, if Jesus is your Savior, that story is your story. That story is His story for you. He paid an infinite price. That's why He's worthy. But they go on to say, you are worthy because you restored Humanity. Oh, this is beautiful. It's just off the charts. You have, from every tribe, language, and people, and nation, every nook and cranny of this globe. Do you see that there? Every people group, every language group, all over the planet. He bought these people. Is this the missionary call or what? But, that's not the point of this text. <laughs> you made, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Why in the world are we made to be a kingdom and priests and reigning on the earth? I mean, I look at me and I have no place here. <laughs> of all my failures, the wreck I make out of things, 
the incapabilities I have, my insecurities, my weaknesses, my sins, broken relationships, my past, my lack of glorifying Him. Why am I here? Don't you ask that question. Because of what Jesus Himself has accomplished. And every creature in heaven knows this to be true. Which means, if you're not here, give up the flag. It says I'm worth something in and of myself. I can drag some of my goodness before Him. Give it up. All of heaven knows that's not true. It's because of Him. Remember the four living creatures? They are full of eyes in front and back. They're full of eyes around and within. They see Him and they see us. And when they say him, see Him take the scroll, they fall down and sing, Worthy is the Lamb, worthy are you because you did it. You did it. You did what no one else, period, did. You did it. You took those people from all over the globe, throughout all of human history. And you bought them back. And you made them a kingdom. And you made them priests to our God. And because of you, they will reign on the earth. That's what in Genesis 1, that's why He created us. Go, rule the earth. We were made to be kings and queens. And you bought them. You did it so that they can. That's why you're worthy. And only you could have done this. Let you take your position as the only one worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. We're not done yet, but do you get it yet? He's worthy. He alone is worthy. That's why the picture proceeds this way. And God records it here so that you and I will get off the seats and say, you are worthy. Do you get it? He's just crying out to us. There's a reason it's said over and over and over because we're slow to get it. And we don't echo like this yet. Where is our heart? So, there is no one like you. And here in heaven, notice, all eyes are fixed on the Lamb. Standing with the eternal marks of His work. This is heaven, and they're still overwhelmed by what he did. Are you tired of the cross? Shame on us if we are. Right? Can we not say that from this text? If heaven is still excited about it, shame on us. That's the point of this chapter. You are worthy. And you alone will hold worth before the Father. There is no human being that will stand and hold his worth. Only the worth of the Son. And can I just point this in by way of application? If you drag in, because this is hardwired into your fallen nature... If you drag in your merit, he will reject you. 
Because everyone in heaven is praising what the Father says is true of the Son for His valuable work here. So, His worth is seen in the fact that He has conquered by rescuing the human race. You could place over this entire text, He is worthy because He did it! He did it! All of salvation history is summarized in these words, He did it. Or in biblical words, it sounds like this, It is finished. Now I've got to ask you, that three-word phrase, what does that mean for you? Because your answer to that question, churchgoer, is whether or not this is a reality for you. I'm dead serious here. If those are intellectual words and they don't stir your heart, your answer is clear. It's not a reality. Or at best, it's just grown dim. Let it not be so. So Christ is worthy because He has conquered. He is worthy because He is worshipped in heaven. Christ is worthy because the inhabitants of heaven sing to Him. A brand new song. And Christ is worthy because all of heaven acknowledges his worth. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. Numbering myriads of myriads, which the NIV translates, which that can mean, ten thousands of ten thousands, and thousands of thousands, hundreds of millions of angels. Can you picture this scene? Mind-boggling. John says... I heard the voice in, what was it, verse 2, I saw a mighty angel, strong angel, proclaiming with a great loud voice that rang through heaven. One voice. What do you think this Sounds like, and let your mind play with it, please. This is amazing. Hundreds of millions of beings with powerful voices. And these four living creatures, very powerful. And these 24 elders, all unanimously with one voice, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb <laughs> who was slaughtered, who was slain. Wow! Heaven is lost in this work by this person. Just Lost in it. Are you lost in the glory of Christ and His finished work on your behalf? Are you? Are you lost here? And the perfection of praise is given. Christ. You are worthy to receive power. Notice it, count it. Wealth, wisdom, and might, and honor, and 
glory and blessing. So number seven. There's one other time that I know of that that happens. And that comes, I think, in chapter seven. Where before the throne that is demonstrated. It is over his finished work. This is God's great work. The infinite merits of Christ are seen here. They give him sevenfold praise for what he has done. Now tell me, what should the church be preoccupied with? The worth of Christ and his atoning work. If this is not the centerpiece of our thinking, do you think, I want you to go down this with me. If this is not the centerpiece, notice the magnitude and the concentration that this is the centerpiece in heaven. You see that, right? This is the centerpiece in heaven. Not all the other countless things we could be centered on. This is it. So if it is not the centerpiece of our thinking, do you think that Satan is working his schemes out in our midst, both corporately, globally, as the church, and individually in our lives? Do you think? Because God wants us here, because He is here. So can you see that the Spirit will seek to bring us front and center here? And Satan will seek to drag us away from here. Because this is the undoing of what banished humanity. Christ is worthy because he has conquered Christ is worthy because he is worshipped. Christ is worthy because the inhabitants of heaven sing to him a brand new song, saying you were slaughtered, you paid an infinite price, you restored humanity. Christ is worthy because all of heaven acknowledges his worth. And just for final measure, all of creation enters into doxology so that God, through Christ, might be all in all. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That sounds like Romans 11. For to Him and from Him, through Him, for Him are all things. So that God might be all in all and in all. And the four living creatures who started this whole thing back in chapter 4 say, let it be. Amen. So be it. It's the punctuation mark. Let it be. And the elders say, oh yes. Yes. Again, my question. What does your heart say in response to this? Are you callous, numb, cold to this? Or does the exuberance well within your soul? 
as you look upon your crucified, resurrected, living Christ and say, that's my Christ. That's my King. That's my Savior. That's my Lord. That's my God. That's my prize. He's everything to me. No one is like you, Lord Jesus. No one is like you. You have done it. You finished it. It is done. Every promise from you, Father, is yes in your Son, Jesus. And with a hearty praise given to you, we say thank you. Spirit, oh Spirit, give us grace to rest here and worship here and to stay here and in this valley here proclaim for a broken Shattered, sin-wrecked world. This king, his accomplishments. This lamb to them. Spirit, enable, empower your people here to flood over time this community that Christ may be seen as heaven sees Him by countless sinners here. Father, would You grant that here in Castro Valley and the men who are being raised up for leadership, give them a heart here to spread the name and glory of this Christ and enable them to do this. Feed their souls with your Son, Father. And raise up missionaries from here to go to all the places of this planet to take the name of this Christ and spread His worth. Make Him known through this church to your praise, for your glory, for the glory of your Son, that your Spirit's power may be magnified and people will rejoice. Amen. Let's all rise together as we close our time in singing of the solid rock. He is worthy to be praised. And as we sing these words,